I'm just going to hit that record button before I forget. Right. Um, yes. Well, um, it's quite apt that we're recording this episode today because uh, I'm starting to get the beginnings of a cold myself. Oh, so, yeah. All right. So this is going to be interesting. So I'm putting myself in, in Reed's shoes. I'm getting immersed in the episode yes. today. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Not too bad at all. Good, Not too good. bad. Yeah, Excellent. ticking along. I love the uh, the new uniform I saw a, a couple of days ago. Oh yeah, yeah, very nice, very nice. You're gonna go for like yeah. the whole the whole gambits. You got gold, you got your blue, you got your red, or you just gonna stick um, with the science? Just the science. It's for um, it's for my dissertation actually. Oh. Um, because I'm rather than writing it, I'm recording it as a video. Oh, interesting. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be a historian on the Enterprise uh, who is. Um, <laughs> talking about art in the in the, the um alpha quadrant oh awesome that is fantastic. Yeah, so that's how i'm going to do it and so it's going to be um yeah so i'm going to sort of look at shots and stuff like images from different shows nice talk about them as if they're like Pieces on the of planets art. and stuff yeah <laughs> yeah is that going to so, include all the artwork in the background like whenever you see like you know there's the enterprising yeah cards absolutely that, oh, yeah nice, nice yeah all that sort of stuff all the all the background stuff and there's loads in uh tos and stuff yes um, of course you know all, all the sort of sculptures and paintings and all sorts of stuff in tos so going to use all that sort of stuff and, and do it as like a as a lecture that's fantastic yeah so if I'm, a, I'm the art i'm the curator on the enterprise <laughs> Well, I'll have to pop into your shop, obviously, and just you know, have yes. a look at all the the artwork on display. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, next time, ne- next time I, I pop into that century, I'll, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> How is the? Um, is it the twenty fifth? Where are you at the moment? Twenty. Uh, we're on the twenty twenty second century. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're uh, steadily making our way through the time. It, it's yeah. it's weird just sticking with the same century. Like I've yes. been so used to zooming through yeah. time that now just staying with the 20 second it's it's quite nice because it means it's less yes. work for me to do but yeah it's... <laughs> how did you work out like did you was is there like a sort of on memory alpha or something is there something that sort of tells you where yeah different there's things the, are well there was a mix of uh the larry uh Nemechek book the star trek timeline oh, yeah. which came out years and years and years ago it's still oh, upstairs okay. uh, it's got all the little posted notes that i used to make back in the day um and uh then there was um a website called the star trek chronology project and the idea was that they were going to stockpile from enterprise every episode so it wasn't all of the the stuff that came before but so sort of, i just wanted to meld the two together um because yeah. i knew that there was a watch order that was chronological um when you're when you come to sort of the tng ds9 voyager overlap um mm. so i needed to make sure that you know if i'm watching six episodes of ds9 and then i need to watch those three like voyagers before the next yeah, DS9 right. comes in yeah. and all that kind of stuff um and then gradually as i was going through the timeline in the nary nemechip book there's like oh this time when kirk popped into the the you know the the 15th century of this planet and it's like oh god that's another that's another like yeah, scene yeah. i've got to watch now and, and all this kind of stuff um and it, it all just branched out from a, a stupid joke i made on facebook <laughs> and and being the you know the insecure man that i am it's like someone said Go on, <laughs> do it it's like oh god uh, now i've got to do it oh god um, oh, cool. but yeah because we were always we were trying to one up ourselves on what's the most complicated way you could watch Star Trek, yeah. and and that was my my entry into the <laughs> into the mix. Uh, there were loads of others. There was some some people who were going to go on themes that you wouldn't even think right. would be on there, and they yeah. were just going to watch it all. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, 
well we are uh we're in sleeping dogs uh thank you yep. so much for, for joining me on this it's so much easier when there's a guest because then you know, that's a pleasure mate yeah, makes it seems so much better because when it's the watch through i never quite know whether people are going to do it and you know yep. it, it doesn't always flow very well as well um so uh yeah where i'm losing uh my voice and and the the nasal passages might be blocking up i may be more reliant on you than normal (laughs) (laughs) right okay uh right i'll get started off space time the ever-expanding frontier these are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the star trek franchise ever its mission to locate every second contemplate every eon from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek podcast. We are in chrono date season three, episode 15 of the podcast and season one, episode 13 of Star Trek Enterprise. We're still in the 22nd century and we are in the episode Sleeping Dogs. And I think we're probably going to let them lie uh, because uh, it's a Klingon episode. So um, it was it was an interesting uh, callback to some of the other Klingon episodes and seeing where Enterprise was going to go with this. We've had Klingons before, but it's never felt like a Klingon centric episode. Um, but I'm not going to be alone on this one. It was going to be a solo show, but thankfully, uh, Dan H, the other Dan H from Kent, is joining me this episode. I'll just pull him up on the di- device. Incoming trans. Transmission. Dan, are you there? Yes, I am indeed. Hello. Hey, always lovely to have you back. Um, I, I needed you on this. Um, I have come down with a cold, just like Reed himself, and uh, I am feeling very under the weather. Uh, whether that plays into the episode, just as Reed's cold doesn't seem to play into the episode, I'm not entirely sure, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, how are you? How uh, Since the, the last time we had you on the show, uh, how have you been? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, watching quite a bit of Star Trek as ever. And um, this was a bit of a last minute one. So um, it's quite interesting because I, I watched it a couple of times last night and uh, we'll see how we go. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, without further ado, we'll uh, hit straight into it with the opening scene. We get uh, a little device being placed on a wall that sort of whirs into action and there's flashing lights and imagery. And we get a phase pistol being loaded up with some red canister. And Hoshi is doing target practice. Uh, we get holographics for the first time in Star Trek, uh, as far as Enterprise is concerned. It's not the first time we've seen holograms in Star Trek, as far as the podcast is concerned. We saw the Doctor back in the 1990s uh, getting his mobile emitter. But this is the first time we see holographics uh, in the timeline of Star Trek. Um, any thoughts on this particular scene, the target practice scene? Um, I quite liked it, actually, in a funny way. It was... it. it didn't fit into the, the episode at all from no. what I can work out really other than the Hoshi fired a, a phaser at some point but um, I quite liked it because it was like a little just a little sort of vignette of of life on on the ship um, but beyond that really it didn't do anything really <laughs> other than to set the scene I suppose yeah uh, exactly the same um if that played into the when they're firing the torpedoes later in the episode and that she's oh compensate for particle drift 
you know it comes back into that idea and it's drifting and pushing the ship using the shockwave maybe it would have come into it um it it's a nice it is a nice vignette it is a nice look into this life it's the same thing we had with the episode dear doctor that we just had where there's the opening scene with the doctor and there was literally no reason for it it was just nice to see him in his sick bay feeding his pets this is another one of those i do find it worrying that we had silent enemy where they were drinking beers around the torpedoes and now they're doing target practice next to torpedoes admittedly with blanks but what if there was a misfire uh, any, any thoughts on endangering health and safety <laughs> i quite like it actually i think um yeah i think that's right reed street really isn't it you know he's um he sort of uh, he likes it's a bit later in the episode you know he gets very excited about photon torpedoes and uh, <laughs> yeah it's right up his street really he's like a, a fish on of, of danger for him maybe is what he's looking for <laughs> <laughs> that's true that is very true and he's yeah he has his cold he has his first bout of a uh, something in his throat uh, which you think is probably going to pay off it might not uh but uh we move into the credits and then it's straight into uh the scene the mission we see a probe heading towards this gas giant that they just mentioned before the credits and uh, they're going to um investigate it because they've never seen a gas giant of this size and never investigated one i do like to poll turning around and saying look you've got four in your own star system why is this important uh you know you're just getting greedy now um uh, but fortunately just like the last episode you were on in Civilization, not only do they find a ship down there, but it's a ship in distress. Fortunately, the Enterprise just happened to find this one gas giant uh, when they were down there. Uh, any thoughts on the the planet and why they they seem to want to you know annoy T'Pol by going through this rigmarole of examining a planet and the siren calls as well, the noises of the planet? I thought it was quite funny, actually, because um, in the Civilization episode that we talked about, you know, when, when we had the first scene and she was talking about the, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was a gas giant and there was some other stuff and then there was a planet. This mm. time, the humans are like, oh, look, there's a, there's a Class 9 gas giant. <laughs> and she's like, why are you bothering with that? You know, that's sort of right up the Vulcan street, really, you know. So it's quite an interesting flip of the uh, the attitude. Um, I quite like the siren calls. That was sort of interesting. Again, it was like a little tiny sort of callback to, to, to um, um, oh my God, he's so forgettable. Like I've forgotten his name now. Mm. <laughs> um, to Travis. To Travis, thank you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, like his, his, his childhood and stuff. And that was mm. quite nice, I thought, actually. Mm. Um, I don't think it comes up ever again in star trek but um it was quite nice and it was what actually made me think of this morning i was, I was watching a bit of it this morning and um it makes you think of the wow noises in uh, the journey yes home. yes you know? <laughs> so i was thinking oh god have they got like a cetacean <laughs> um deck on there or anything you know we need the whales quick <laughs> there wasn't enough room for whales or dolphins so they've gone for piranhas and uh yeah. maybe some other flounders maybe just yeah stick them in there they've got one fish tank and that's it uh unfortunately the tiberian bat that uh flocks brought on board tries <laughs> to eat them all the time maybe i don't know um but yeah I, I, again it was one of those things it's a nice setup it's a great vignette but you wonder you know, why was it in there you know if they maybe could have worked it into the plot again 
um, my thought was, you know, what if they used the siren calls to make it seem as though the Klingon ship had been under attack and they were going to cover cover their honor by saying, well, the ship was attacked by this demon siren co- monster that we, you know, we've found so many times in a gas giant because we've got four gas giants in our system alone um, and that they were going to, you know, help the captain regain his honor somehow. Mm. But again, it was just one of those things they brought in. It, it's got a nice bit of world building, but they don't really come back to it um it's it's never really brought up again uh moving into sick bay as the next scene and now reed is in the full throes of a cold i am um, sympathized with him completely uh I've, as i'm recording this i'm a week late recording this episode because uh, my youngest got sick and he was home so there was no way i was recording with that noise in the background uh, now my other two sons are uh, sick but because they're a bit older and they're a bit um uh more worse for wear they have gone upstairs and they are sleeping upstairs right now uh first thing in the morning uh but uh, now they've passed it to me uh, i always told Lovely. them to share but i don't really want them to share everything um with hermetically sealed ships uh how the hell did he get infected any thoughts i again i quite like this actually i thought it was very sensible you know it's the sort of thing that would happen you know somebody at, at you know at the station would would have a cold and would think well i can't leave the the job because i've got to get it done and then leave a nice pile of uh, viruses for for reed to pick up later on mm. so again i quite like that it, it made sense it was a you know it, there was a reason for it mm. and certainly with everything we've been going through for the last two years the idea of you know sanitization yeah. is is a big uh, part of our daily lives now um it, it's believable that something would survive for so many months and be ready and waiting as this disease what seemed to be when uh, my kids yeah. picked it up from nursery so Absolutely, uh, yeah. it was waiting in the wings uh, and it was just going to come back at any point i thought that at this point when he was giving him the injection um he said there wasn't a cure for the common cold but i was wondering if they were going to write into the story that he was somehow immune to the toxin that was affecting the klingons and that that was yes. going to be part of it but they never seemed yeah. to go down that route um no no the only thing i can unusual. think of yeah the only thing i can think of is is the fact they couldn't smell the klingon ship yeah that was the only sort of reference that that come up at all and again there was a quite a nice little thing i suppose quite funny in a way but it was very small and very slight hmm. it seemed a big setup for one gag um, yeah. I, li- I like it and, and there's something that lower decks does all the time it just yes. seemed like okay he's got a cold um reed can kick ass and fire photon torpedoes that he's never seen before but he's got a cold and he's doing it anyway uh keep calm and carry on good old yeah <laughs> good, the good old brits <laughs> in space um <laughs> we then go into her hoshi and archer and hoshi is demonstrating how far she's come and she's actually asking for an assignment uh, it turns out to paul already asked for her to come on anyway but it's nice that hoshi's now putting herself forward it's a, a good bit of character growth and yep. we've seen it come to this point and it i think for me it felt believable that now would be the time she would be asking to be on these assignments poor old hoshi that it turns into you know a poseidon adventure mixed with every other disaster film i could think of uh but um but any thoughts on hoshi and her development yeah i, I noticed that as well i thought that was very good again and it's, it's interesting i hadn't really thought about it before but something that i've noticed having sort of watching along with with your podcast in some ways is that um although there's not an arc as such there's definitely a nod to sort of you know the character development it seems to be a little bit stronger Mm. than maybe it would have been in tng and stuff where it was very much episodic and there was no sort of callbacks really 
Whereas there's little callbacks in in, in Enterprise already. I'm, I'm noticing, and obviously this this becomes a, a whole season arc in season three and stuff. But mm. there's definitely that sort of acknowledgement of the past, which I, I quite like. Mm. And I think that that comes out in the next scene as well, where they're going through the suits and she's, she still has her ways. She's double checking the suit, making sure everything works. Yeah. So that is still part of her personality. It hasn't abandoned it and just said, right, she's, she's fine now. Yeah. Um, it is believable. She has those steps. Uh, I do like how Reed is just non-sympathetic whatsoever and says, yeah, you're going to get crushed to something the size of my fist and just puts it in front of her face. Um, we've had the, the target practice scene. We now have this scene. I wondered if the writers were maybe going to go down the route that they, you know, they're, they're friends, they jibe with each other, and but maybe they were going to try and introduce a relationship between these two or whether that was going to be maybe a brother-sister kind of thing that they were going to always wind each other up. Um, hmm. Any thoughts on that dynamic between the two of them? That's really interesting. It's never occurred to me, to be honest with you. Um, I think Reed is so sort of... Reed is really odd because in some ways he's sort of totally asexual, Really, he's, you know, there's sort of he's very uptight. He's very in, insular, and and yet, you know, he got like two days and two nights when he sort of, you know, just can't wait to rush into the nearest sort of, you know, brothel that he can find, sort of thing, you know. <laughs> um, so he's, yeah, I can't. I, 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 again, I think there's an episode isn't there where in season three where they meet their their their, their the, the ship that went back, and mm-hmm. he was the only one that never married anyone or got together with anyone and i think that yeah so for me no i I can't see that really i couldn't see Mm. that myself um but maybe that's interesting i had never thought of that it just seemed with uh, the pineapple story from silent enemy uh, that perhaps he was starting to trust hoshi a bit more that Mm. perhaps not a romantic relationship but at least i don't know maybe yeah that blood uh, kind of brother sister you know, they're always getting on each other's nerves, maybe going down the McCoy Spock route. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah. And they, they were just throwing things at the wall and seeing which characters sort of stuck. I didn't yeah. feel, I didn't feel there was much in this episode that would have said, yep, that's the relationship we need to develop. But I wondered if that was what they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that the, there's definitely what you see with enterprise is definitely a very, very familial Mm. relationship developments between the crew especially i think through season three where you know they're thrown into that that massive issue and you know and it really brings them tightly together as a crew definitely mm. but yeah and i suppose obviously there's trip and to pole that is a you know a romance or whatever you want to call it um but yeah with reed i don't know he never seems to quite come out of his shell but he does he's very loyal Mm. And I think the crew are very loyal to him as well, in the end, especially. Very true. Uh, speaking of uh, loyalty and making sure that the, the crew are looked after, uh, Archer is sending his three most valuable bridge officers uh, down into uh, the belly of the beast on this uh, gasp giant. Um, should there have been maybe a spare team member, an Ensign Ricky in the back, uh, an engineer, maybe? Um, any thoughts on the away team choice? I think that again. I think it, the 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 choice is because they're the characters, mm-hmm. and that's the truth of it. In a, in the real world, if it was a real ship, you're right, absolutely, there'd they'd be they wouldn't be sending down Hoshi, their only apparently their only you know translator. I mean, later on when when um, Trip has to try to tie in the the universal translator, you know, why isn't there someone always sitting on that on that <laughs> um, 
on that spot and, and doing that as a job, you know. So, I mean, it's just the nature, I suppose, of, of you know, programmes that they have a, a cast and the cast do the stuff. Yeah. Really. Uh, maybe they've got you know the the intern who who can speak a yeah. bit of French and that's that's the only <laughs> qualification he's got to sit there. Uh, but Hoshi is just irreplaceable. Um, yeah, uh, they get on board the ship. Uh, we do get the gag about how he can't smell everything. Uh, to Paul has scanned and said there is nothing toxic. Now, in just a few episodes ago, we were able to scan the silent enemy and get right down to their DNA. And for some reason, to Paul doesn't pick up a toxin. That is the biggest part of. The whole plot and the whole reason why the Klingon ship is actually inside the atmosphere. Um, do you think they should have maybe kept the suits on just a little bit longer, just to make sure before doing it? I don't think that's a bad idea. To yeah. be honest, if I was on an alien ship that I didn't really know about, I, I would think I'd be a little bit cautious. To be <laughs> honest with you, yeah, it does definitely. seem to be a thing. Like uh, any time yeah. they've gone down to a planet, there's something mysterious. Maybe just keep the suits on just a little bit longer till you're absolutely sure. So maybe that will play into our consequences later. Who knows? Um, uh, they do seem to come down on trip again. It's a very Archer thing to do uh, in previous episodes, but saying, you know, how did you not know that this was a Klingon ship? You should know everything. You know, you're you're yeah. you're Topol. You're our Klingon expert. Um, yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that? Because we did have that in previous episodes as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting actually because that was the only moment really when there was that sort of. I suppose racism you could call it against the Vulcans. Other than that, I felt that actually Topol and there was a nice scene between Topol um, and Hoshi. Mm. There was a, a lot of sort of the, the the more sort of personal relationship that I think would be there rather than the sort of oh bloody Vulcans. They don't you know don't you even know what the, the Klingon ship looks like sort of thing. You know <laughs> that was the only sort of moment of that that sort of uh, generalized hatred. <laughs> <laughs> That we seem to see quite a bit. Yeah. You should be an expert on every class of every vessel at any time, whenever we ask. Um, yeah. And that then goes into the whole uh, cultural aspect. Uh, you know, Topol is, for better or worse, their, their Klingon expert. She does know mm. a lot more about their culture than necessarily their military and tech. Um, she says, you know, there's they died at their posts or they're going to die at their posts. That's an honorable death. Let's just leave them and let's move on. And it's Reed who then says, I don't intend to just fly away and let these people die. Um, again, call back to the last episode you were on civilization, interfering with cultures, not interfering yep. with cultures, um, anything on the interference or uh, rescue of the Klingons. I think, um, yeah, again, really it's that, it's that, that point we're at, where I mean, I don't think it actually. To be honest, I think it carries on right through Trek, really. But that idea that you know human values or our values are the right values, and um, regardless of of what the other culture would expect. And you're right, you know, the the, the um, Klingons wouldn't want to be saved. And in fact, it's quite interesting that there's not really a a payback to that on in the episode. Actually, I'm quite surprised that that mm -hmm. didn't really come back. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's that sort of, we're humans, we've got to save them. Um, again, there's no prime directive. So although this wouldn't really apply because of they're, they're warp capable and stuff. So, but yeah, there's, again, we're seeing that sort of early history of, of Starfleet going in and, and sort of applying their, their morals and their ideas without really thinking about the consequences for the, for the other people. Mm. Yeah, there's, uh, 
with the, uh, the the Klingon way of viewing things, it it does make me think that well, wouldn't they find it more honourable that you tried to save them, that you sacrificed so much to try and get them? Um, you know, it's that weird muddy ground of what is mm. honour. Uh, yes. that it gets muddled through all of the Klingon episodes. You know, one sect of Klingons will think this, one sect of Klingons will think that, and yet T'Pol is referring to them in a very monoculture way. Yeah. Um, that they want to die at their posts. Well, does she know that? She didn't know mm. this ship. So, what if this is a ship to a sect of Klingons that don't just you know? What does she know for certain that they would want to die at their post? Um, and I think if with that in uncertainty, their willingness to then you know try and save them and disregard the potential that they are um, you know, looking for an honourable death, um, she or the uh, Reed is sort of you know trying to answer to a different type of honor and I, and I wonder whether that would have paid off had they managed to save them without going on board the ship you know enterprise was able to you know put the yeah. braces on the ship itself fly itself as close as they could grapple it and pull it back out had they not gone on the ship would that have worked as an honorable gesture um it i just i, don't know, I wonder if that would have happened i i know that yeah. in say, yesterday's enterprise in tng you know that hinges on the fact that the Klingons found the sacrifice of the Enterprise C as an honourable gesture, and that cemented what would become the Klingon Alliance. Would this have mm. done the same thing? That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way at all. But yeah, that's a really interesting thing, and and I think that's one of the things with the Klingons that doesn't, as you say, doesn't really get explored. The, na the nature of honor i think if you look at the the episodes with klingons the nature of honor is very much about battle and 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 dying in battle and, and victory and stuff like that we don't really explore what honor means beyond sort of the the warlike stuff you know what does it mean in everyday society and as you say maybe a, a, an honorable sacrifice is, is seen as very as much an honorable action as as, as battle Mm. Yeah, that's really I, yeah. That's something that I hadn't thought about, and I think that's a that's an interesting point. Mm. Um, the ship is sinking, and they're they're falling away. Uh, there's so it splits now into three separate stories. You've got the Klingon who uh, takes their shuttle and tries to escape. You've now got the Klingon ship sinking, and we've got our disaster movie, as it were, for the episode. And then you've got the Enterprise trying to launch its own rescue, uh, which they all kind of dovetail together, and they do get muddied. Um, but uh, looking at the Klingon first, she tries to escape. She tries to call for help. She tries to, you know, give away their position and blame the Enterprise for something she clearly knows was the the Zerentine. Um, uh, any thoughts on on her and her actions? And do you think she was acting honourably? Now that's a very interesting question. Again, wow, you've got me thinking now. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose she. I mean, in in into Paul's idea, no, she wasn't, was she? Mm. Absolutely not. But maybe in in that idea that she was trying to contact someone to get the the sort of the enemy destroyed, then that that is honourable. You know, that's she's trying to fight back. Mm. Um, what I found interesting was um, when she was um, stunned and come back round. Um, she was seems very compliant for a Klingon. Mm. It didn't take a lot of convincing for her to go down with with Archer, you know, and all that sort. Of, that was that was surprisingly easy. I thought um, I would expect much more, you know, sort of much more resistance to to complying with the enemy. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I suppose it was the idea of, of trying to get the, the enemy destroyed was the honourable bit. But the escaping, yeah, absolutely. In, in to, certainly, to Paul's eyes, that would be a very unusual thing for a Klingon to do. Yeah, I mean, um, Paul um, says that there's there's no escape pods because they would yeah. see those as dishonourable. Yet she's yeah. used the shuttle in yeah. pretty much the, what an escape pod does uh, to get out of the planet. Yeah, absolutely, you're right, and that, that's really interesting. I think, um, and I, I think the other thing, you know, how did she know that she needed to use the escape pod? Why didn't she just kill you know, um, the, the landing party and, and then just sort of repair the ship mm. or or whatever it might have been that she would have done? So. Yeah, again, again, it's, it's to move the plot along, of course, but you know, um, yeah, interesting, mm. definitely, oh, I, I, yeah. Because you, I see, she needs to be able to pilot the the shuttle, and she needs to figure that out. So they couldn't have had it as you know, she was high on the toxin, and she was just you know reacting out of a Klingon warrior's instinct or something like that. She had to be cogent. So mm. there's there's decisions that she's clearly made, fully conscious of what she's doing, um, that seem dishonorable to what we know so far and to what yeah. T'Pol has let us know um it, it just made me think that it, is it because she knows that it is strictly the the Zerentine ale because they stole it because they they did something and it backfired on them that that would be dishonorable and she's trying to yeah, cleave I mean, she can get the conversation with Archer later on suggests that she wasn't aware that it mm. was the the owl because mm. um, it did seem to come as a surprise to her, or at least, you know, she was like, oh, right, okay, that makes sense. And again, that was really odd because, you know, as soon as that was sort of mentioned, she sort of was, was okay, well, let's go and sort it all out then, that's okay. <laughs> and again, why would she go back down with them if, if the honourable thing for the other crew members was to die at their post? Why she would she go down to try to repair the ship? Mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah, that's really interesting and, and, and a bit of a sort of, I don't know, plot hole is quite the right word, but certainly a, an issue with the plot if, if T'Pol is to be believed. Mm. It certainly muddies the water or the, the idea of what their honour system is. Perhaps, yeah. you know, perhaps we're saying that T'Pol has learnt the honour system for maps, the male crew members, because as far as I could see, mm-hmm. there weren't other female crew members at their posts. Yep. And that perhaps females in the Klingon society have a different set of honor. That it's about you know, um, uh, you know calling in the other battle cruisers to come in and destroy the Enterprise is the role of a woman. Perhaps there is a Klingon aspect to honor that women are allowed to do this, but men aren't. You know that sort mm. of thing. Yeah. Um, whether that makes you know any sense, we don't know. Uh, but uh, it, I wonder if she was acting in a different set of honor, and that's what they were learning about. And you know, there there are different grays, different shades of gray. Uh, to mm. their honor system, maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, before so we go into the Klingon ship itself, um, Hoshi discovers that they did raid the Zerin team, that they are piecing together the puzzle of what actually happened. Um, uh, I like that the Klingons call it a Katal class planet, that we are learning that there's different terminologies for a class nine, um, uh, depending on what's going on. And the live food scene uh, leading yes. up leading up to the little meditation uh, with, with Tupo and, and Hoshi. Uh, any thoughts on being on the Klingon ship? Do you feel that there was enough done to make it, oh my God, are they going to get out of this? Or did it feel like, yeah, they're going to they're figure it out eventually? Um, yeah, I guess to a degree there's always that knowledge that they will get there you know but I, I, what i thought was quite interesting with the, the food scene was just how klingon it was it was <laughs> like the set direct set dresser had said right this is going to be a klingon ship and this you know and it was absolutely you know rammed with like worms and gark and 
hanging bodies and you know it was like make this as klingon as possible you know <laughs> and, yeah it, it really struck me out just how klingon it was you know <laughs> but well, um you can't see this dan but where my camera cuts off you can't see the kitchen and it's basically that at the moment so <laughs> with my kids being sick that's what it looks like in there um, so maybe, maybe they just didn't clean up in time that's, that's yeah it. yeah absolutely <laughs> but yeah no it was um yeah, I, I like that. And I like the scene with um, Hoshi and T'Pol. I thought that was really... Because, you know, T'Pol had been... Or, or seemingly been quite harsh on Hoshi up to this point, really. Um, I think that was more sort of her Vulcan nature rather than particularly being harsh. You know, just the way... You know, quite blunt and that sort of thing, you know. Mm. But there was a real sort of... Um, camaraderie or, or sort of care in that scene. Mm. Where you know where where, to Paul sort of knew that Hoshi was struggling, but 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 valued her input, uh, valued her value in in you know in in the mission, and said, look, you know, I can help you with this, and 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 I really liked that. I thought that was very good. Mm. Um, my partner was watching it last night, and she said, um, unfortunately, it was a bit like, you know, was it one for the boys sort of thing? Unfortunately, but that that you know we're coming to that a bit later at the end of the show yeah, as well but certainly yeah but yeah i did wonder like, if they were going to go that route and yeah. then maybe making it but again it could have been them throwing things at the wall again it's yeah. if it's not reed and hoshi maybe hoshi and tapo are a better pairing um yeah. maybe they could have gone down that route um mm. but yeah it did feel like mm, where are they going with this uh yeah. it was it was pre uh you know mind meld so you know it was using the hands it was using the things that we know as star trek fans that vulcans can do um yeah. you know, whatever special magic power they need that episode but um <laughs> it was believable it, it made sense that she could do this for hoshi um yeah. and that uh, perhaps she she trusted her to you know to know how that uh, this was going to work yeah. uh then you got the third aspect which is the enterprise's rescue plan itself they discover that it's a raptor class ship and that travis has sort of pulled up all the data and uh trip figures out he's going to build some duritanium braces for the shuttle uh this is all sounding like you know deep sea rescue we're going to build like a little pod you know uh, this is the abyss this is james cameron where you know if maybe they got james cameron to direct this episode it might have had a bit more meat to it i don't know um but uh, i do like that uh, they try to rescue the ship and, and fly in but it, the enterprise just can't take it and that uh, archer did say signal and say we've hit a little hitch in our rescue plan it wasn't me no, I'm not the little hitch, <laughs> but anytime I'm going to hear my surname called out in the in Star Trek, I will make a point of making a, a reference to it. Um, there is uh, a moment because they built these braces on the start on the the side of the shuttle that I was looking out for it in the CGI, uh, and I couldn't find it. <laughs> Whenever there was a CGI shot of the the shuttle, once it's had the braces placed on, I think it's another thing that Enterprise had where in the script it says one thing. But what the yeah. visuals were was something completely different. I couldn't see the difference between the shuttle and one with braces. Um, uh, did you manage to pot, spot it? Because I, I really couldn't. No, I didn't know. And um, I must admit, I hadn't even thought of that because I'm not as observant as you. I'm <laughs> terrible at that. I, I sort of I, I allow the, um, the, what's it, the suspension of disbelief to sort of happen <laughs> and, and just go along with whatever they do, really. Unless it's a really bad one. But no, I didn't spot that at all, no. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's just the, the thing. Uh, having watched so many episodes now, I'm just looking out for <laughs> for these sorts of things. Never used to, and now it's. I think it's always going to be with me. Um, we then 
uh, we get photon torpedoes. We get uh, a reference to a weapon that has never been seen before. So it's the first time photon torpedoes have come into the Star Trek in-universe conversation. Uh, I wondered if, you know, they were, they could have done it where Reed uh, downloaded the specs and that that was the reason at the end of the episode why the captain is so angry that you've stolen this this information. Um, any thoughts on that? And, and maybe they should have made it more about, you know, they helped the Klingons, but they also took something for themselves. Mm. And maybe that wasn't the best thing to do. What? struck me on that actually was how funny it was that Reed sort of ran over <laughs> photons of torpedoes and it made me think of your thing about you know his his, his love of firing stuff you know he was like oh <laughs> photons of torpedoes what are they you know and like, <laughs> um, do you know it's really interesting again I hadn't thought of it but you know why wouldn't you download the specs you know mm. again this is it's coming back to something I think we talked about in Civilization was this idea that you know why isn't there like a black market? Why isn't there a sort of, you know, much more, you know, we're, we're sort of doing what the Vulcans tell us and, and developing our own stuff. Why aren't we taking stuff from other cultures and stuff? And why aren't they, why isn't there, a, you know, a Ferengi turning up? I mean, I know that sort of, but mm. why isn't there a Ferengi turning up saying, well, you know, I can sell you a Warp 6 engine, you know? Um, and again, yeah, why not take that? I mean, it's a, it's again, I don't know. I mean, again, maybe they just didn't think of doing it, but yes that would make a lot of sense and it would certainly be in character for for reed to, mm. to have done that yeah um, i mean just just from a tactical point that uh, he wants yeah. to know what they're capable of and whether he can adjust the you know, yeah. harmonics of the ablative plating and, and things like this um yeah. it, it would have i think it would have added an extra dimension to the episode that meant that mm. they are doing their best they are rescuing the klingons they have ignored their honor so that could be seen as an insult and there is this aspect of, well, you've taken our property. You've taken our intellectual rights to yeah. this new technology called photonics. Um, it, it, it could have made it more believable why the Klingons will eventually become so aggressive towards the humans in yeah. that, you know, you you claim to be helping us, but you're also taking whatever you can find. Uh, maybe you should you know, look more on yourselves. Um, yeah. uh, it just it struck me as that it, it seemed like it's something they could have done with the episode to make yeah. it that much more. Yeah, uh, definitely. I agree. Uh, there's uh, obviously we get the antidote into the Klingon. She then agrees to help, as you mentioned, and they get on back on board the, the, the Klingon cruiser. Archer has now turned up. He's got all the antidotes for the, uh, the toxin as well. Uh, he, he sort of says he's going to help them to fix the ship, but I wondered if they've already got a shuttle attached to the side of the, the craft with an engine. Could they not have used that to propel yeah. upwards? Maybe. Uh, other than using this weird, we're going to ride torpedo waves uh, plan that seems absolutely bonkers to me. But there we go. Um, uh, you know, do you feel that there should have been a bit more techie, tech the tech, you know, techno babble to try and figure out this problem? I don't know. I think at, at this point in in the story, in the sort of the, where we are with tech as such i mean we're, we're obviously far advanced to where we are now but actually we're very much very basic you know uh, as far as star trek goes so i think maybe you know there's not so much techno babble about maybe at the moment and it's more sort of like almost like it's almost like a 1950s car compared to a 2020 <laughs> car you know you know you used to be able to change the manifold or whatever i'm, I'm used to the car so hmm. but you know you used to be able to sort of, and everyone would know how to sort of do you know all the stuff you need to do and now you've just got to plug a 
thing in for the computer to work out what's wrong, you know. <laughs> and I think maybe we're at that point with with Star Trek, you know. <laughs> I like to the, they get the tow cables out and they're just going to yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> ride the ship up with the shuttle. Yeah. Um, there is also a little scene where um, Archer is being very forceful. He's learned his Klingon. And I do like yes. that he took the time to study up and tried to think about what he was saying. Um, and there's a moment where she looks like she's not going to help them again. She's going to turn on a, on them again. Um, but she then respects how he stands up to her. And there's just that moment where she looks at him like, is she going to jump him? Is she going to like start you know, mating with him? Um, it was almost a point where I was thinking, I know a lot about Klingon culture now because I've watched a lot yeah. of Star Trek. Yeah. Was that something they were going to do? Uh, <laughs> that, you know, Archer turns up with some bumps and bruises at the end of the episode. And no one talks <laughs> about where they came from. Well, Archer is, is irresistible, as we, we know, you know. Exactly, from we, civilization, yeah. which is why Absolutely, I brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Klingons are coming, and they've uh, the other warships are coming in uh, from their signal. The day is saved. Uh, they've pulled the Raptor out of orbit, but uh, just when you think they're going to call and say, thank you, you've given us an honourable life. No, they say, surrender your ship, you violated our ship. That's where I was thinking, you know, they should have brought in a bit more about Reed, maybe stealing some photon torpedo technology. You know, you violated, this is like an act of war. And now yep. we have the Klingons as these big aggressors. Uh, yep. Any thoughts on the, the the end of the episode for this? Um, I guess, it, again, it fits quite nicely with what we know about Klingons. It would be just the thing that Klingons would do, you know. <laughs> It'd be, you know, even if they got no, as, as I said, they got no torpedoes, you know, they've... They, the hole was breached and all the rest of it, you know, they've still got to sort of, you know, go, because <laughs> that's sort of their job, you know, in, in Star Trek. You know. um, yeah. So that, it sort of made sense. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was just a sort of, again, it was a bit of a sort of nothing ending though, you know, it was a little bit sort of, oh, okay, well, we're off. A bit like, you know, with the female Klingon, you know, oh, okay, yeah, I'll help you out. You know, it was no sort of, fight to get there there was no effort to get there it was like oh yeah okay well we're off yeah no I, I think klingons would probably fight even with their you know know they're outgunned and out sort of matched that would still be part of their their way uh, of doing things you know yeah uh, and speaking as a father of three boys uh i would like the klingons to an eight-year-old boy who uh hmm. cuts off their nose despite yeah. their face uh <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> there is a moment at the very end where they've now resolved it he's threatened the klingon captain and said you know i take whatever honor i have left and get out um and uh, archer just then sits back down and sort of shakes his head like what was that all about like yeah. why, why did they do that um yeah. uh, and it just uh, for me that's one signal that is the whole episode that's the sums yeah. up the episode like what was that all about uh, why yeah. have they done that um there is a nice last little vignette where it's hoshi to pole and reed in the decon chamber i think Yes, all right. What they're wearing is scantily clad and things like that, but they're not rubbing gel in. They're not being gratuitous <laughs> with it. They are just sitting there looking like they yeah. want to just de-stress and uh, uh, demob themselves from being on this smelly, horrible Klingon ship. Yeah. No more reference to Reed having a cold. No, no. other thing. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, what if T'Pol has a funny sneeze? Uh, you know, she's yeah. now caught it, but she's now catching humanity because she saw their point of view or something like that. I thought there could have just been a bit more with this scene. Uh, your thoughts, though, on the scene? Well, I have a real problem with the decom chamber, <laughs> which I think a lot of people do, you know, to be fair. And Carol, my partner, said last night, well, again, we were watching last night, and she said, 
know, why does Topol wear underwear like that? Why would a Vulcan <laughs> wear that underwear? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it, it's yeah. so true. And it, it's such a shame. You know, it really is such a shame because I, you know, I'm a big fan of Enterprise. I, I liked it from the start and, I, you know, I really enjoy it. But it's so sort of, it's just painful at times, you know. And and that's a perfect example. I, I like the idea of them sort of coming, as you say, coming out of the smelly sort of horrible ship and, and just going, oh, thank God. That that made a lot of sense, you know. You can imagine that absolutely, you know, and and even to poll, you know, sort of catching on to what Reed was saying and and going, yeah, actually, we better stay in for a bit longer. That you know, I like that. That was that was nice, but why, you know, why are they dressed like that? I mean, it's just you know, yeah, it's a real shame. It's yeah. a real shame for for enterprise. It's one of the the things that I think um, for me anyway it doesn't ruin it because I really enjoy it. But I always think, oh, here we go. <laughs> I think it's it is that gratuity of it. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy with a bit of nakedness on my TV. I don't mind that. Um, I don't mind it in my Star Trek either. And I know that as we're recording this, <laughs> we're about a couple of days from the lower decks episode, which had yep. naked time, and that's causing uproar. And it's like, why is there this in my Star Trek? And like, that's always been in Star Trek. Trust me. Absolutely, yeah. There is that other level to the decon chamber that just feels a little bit more exploitative. Whereas that Lower Decks episode was just hilarious and I absolutely yes. loved it, especially with yeah. little uh, Phillips at the back, you know, uh, yeah. trying to maintain his virginity and, and staying on the pad. A brilliant little character moment there. Uh, yeah. That makes sense for the episode and what they're going yeah. through. This just felt a little bit more gratuitous. They could have had it yeah. more like a steam room. You know, they've got yeah. towels everywhere. You know, there's a modesty to it, but there's not nothing exploitative of the fact that Topol yeah. and Hoshi and Reed are yeah. absolutely, you know, wonderful specimens of humanity when they're filming this episode. Um, it just feels uncomfortable watching it yeah. because you know what the producers are doing to the actors. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, and on that note, I'm just left speechless. What do we do with the sleeping dogs? Do we let them lie? Do we get them out? I don't know. Should we have helped the Klingons? Is what I should get to. Um, I think it works for again for where we are with Enterprise. I think it works. I mm. think it is what the humans would do. So that makes sense. Whether we should have done it, that I don't know. Again, that you know, we'd need to have a greater understanding of of, of honor and the, the Klingon sort of way of, of thinking. But in it, you know, it didn't make for a great episode. You know, it made for an all right episode, but <laughs> they could have quite happy. I would have been happy, happy if they just sort of launched the probe, seen them, left them, and gone off and done something else. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, they just. But or maybe that would have been a bit better episode. Maybe we'll come to this in our alterations. That um, what if they'd left them, and there was the soul searching of what did we do? Mm. Why did we leave them? Maybe. Right, well, we've located the episode that is Sleeping uh, sleeping Dogs. Our next criteria is consequences. From this episode, is there anything that happens for Starfleet, for the Federation, from now on, that you think will come about purely from this episode? Um, not purely, but I guess there is, you know, it's another interaction with the Klingons. It's another piece of the jigsaw that the Klingons will see Starfleet as... You know that's part of how they see it, the interactions over the over the years. So there is that. I don't think there's anything else really. There's no other sort of. You know, I don't think any of the characters, the Klingons, come back or anything at any point. A bit like Shran, 
you know, mm. he comes back and, you know, there's nothing like that. So, no, not really, other mm. than a sort of general sort of understanding of Starfleet from the Klingon point of view. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, what if this had been the same Klingon ship from uh, Unexpected, um, mm. which it was actually kind of referenced again. Um, they were talking about the M33s and, and compensating for particle uh, drift and all this sort of thing. That was brought up in Unexpected as well. Mm. Um, they could have said, oh, this is the same signature from yeah. this Klingon ship. We couldn't figure it out because they were buried inside the gas giants. So we didn't know until we got closer. And yeah. uh, now there's this relationship between Archer and this Klingon captain who we're going to run into every season. And he's going to be like one of those arch nemesis. Um, yeah. it, it just felt like it needed a bit more punch to it. Like we care about these Klingons because we saw them three weeks ago. Yeah. Something more, because like you've said already that there wasn't that tension, you know, they're going to survive. You know, there wasn't an instant Ricky in the back to show how dangerous the situation is. And he gets mauled to death by a targ or, you know, he gets the toxin and goes mad or something like that. Um, there just didn't seem to be enough there. So the consequences needed to be bigger. They needed to not just be decontaminate all the canisters from space dock and check your suit or don't take off the suit until you're absolutely sure. It needed to be more about, you know, there's consequences to going onto a ship to rescue it because you might die and that this is a big problem and that, you know, ships drifting into gas giants will become a new thing and we have to think about this. Uh, yeah, there doesn't seem to be, other than day-to-day -day routine uh, and maybe re-downloading those tor torpedo specs that he's yep. going to work on and tinker with uh, that maybe in six episodes' time, it's like, I was working on this torpedo thing. That Remember that Klingon ship we found? You know, it plays into that. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's something that, yeah, I think that's something that might happen now in Star Trek. If, you know, that's the sort of thing that wasn't really, you know, there was a little bit of, of arc. There was a little bit of, but that would be the sort of thing that would happen in, in new Trek using mm. a, mm -hmm. a slightly... Uh, dodgy term but um you know that would have happened but it just it wasn't the way it was stuff was written then you know it just wasn't um my partner actually said last night again when we was watching um oh it was near the beginning it was when when um the landing party first went onto the ship so oh, is that the one with the is this the one with the vulcans you know the one later on in, in the expanse oh yeah yeah and that sort of for me in a way sums up the episode it could have been you know, it could have been another, it's easy, you know, oh yeah, I know this one, this is the one where this happens, you know, it's, mm. it's a very unrecognisable episode, it's one of those sort of typical Star Trek first season episodes where, you know. <laughs> so this isn't breaking your rule then, uh, your first season rule? <laughs> no, exactly, it's not, it hasn't sort of convinced me that first seasons are are, um, are brilliant by any means. <laughs> I'm going to keep that every episode, whether you're guesting or not. It's the Dan Huckfield uh, measure of whether this breaks the season one rule. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it, it doesn't seem to have any impact beyond. I'm not I'm never thinking about this episode in the grand no. scheme of things. Uh, no. We've had we've had much better episodes previously. Uh, alterations is our next criteria. Anything you would have liked to have seen changed other than the things we've already mentioned about a bit yeah. more drama, a bit more to it. Um, anything that you think could have been better, could have been made more of. Um, it's really difficult. I mean, is there anything really? I mean, uh, yeah, it needs to just have a bit more danger. Mm. You know, it needs to feel a bit more dangerous. But I think we've sort of covered that in a way already. But yeah, it's very hard. As I say, I, I, it could have easily. I think your idea of, of going away and leaving it and, and then dealing with those consequences would be been much more interesting. Mm. 
mm. then sort of just save, you know, going down and saving them as, as you expect sort of thing. Um, so that would, be, yeah, that would be an interesting alteration for me. I think, I think that's a good idea. Mm. Yeah. It, I know that it's very similar to the fight or flight episode where they were, you know, umming and ahhing whether they should go and help, uh, you know, because of that episode, they've probably gone to help this ship and they feel that, you know, it's worth it. You know, we can learn so much more. There was so much more they could have done. The, the, the female Klingon could have stayed on the ship. We could have had a bit of a diehard in space. Uh, you know, yeah. she's you know wild with the toxin. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's acting on impulse. And it maybe it's something to do with, you know, your biological nature versus your honorable nature. You know, should you do what you're you know, uh, what you feel you should or should you just act the way that nature has told you to do for thousands of years? Yeah. Maybe had that as a little bit extra. Uh, I would have liked to have seen bringing everything in, you know, that modern storytelling, the, the new Trek, as you said, you know, the siren calls, use that in some way, you know, they, they play it to, to disrupt her, you know, because she's so wild, you know, so they play the siren calls that distracts her and then to Polk and do her, you know, nerve pinch or, or something that just to take her out to give that added level of danger, because there's no real ticking time bond. I know the ship is sinking, but I feel like they are competent enough to solve the problem. I don't yeah. feel there's, there's enough, point given over to like we need to learn this Klingon language we need to know what this does there's there's never enough of a hurdle for these crew to go over yeah that I believe the danger um, yeah I mean it's like something that just occurred to me you know there's no sort of there's no points when suddenly the you know the ship sort of crunches a bit because it's mm. gone a bit lower there's none of that there's no sounds that make it sort of like you know there's nothing you know it's very sort of it's in a set it feels like it's in a set Yep. And that's it, you know, and it, it just little touches could have have really improved the episode, I think. Absolutely. And you know, maybe have uh Hoshi's separated from them. You know, a bulkhead collapses between them. So there's yeah. the, the vision of the teams, you know, something that just like brings it up and then she's able to click you know speak to the Klingon. You know, she's yeah. in the room with the Klingon and yeah, then she absolutely. uses her target practice and she's actually figured out how to shoot and and that sort of thing. So she managed to take her out. You know, just little things just to bring it yeah. together. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're both agreed that it could have been a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, with uh, the uh, next criteria, you've already uh, alluded to uh, recommendations. We'll start yeah. with Star Trek fans. Would you recommend this episode specifically to Star Trek fans? Do they have to watch it? No. 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 One word answer. No. <laughs> yeah. Same. Uh, I, watching this, I don't think I'll go back to it. I don't think it's like I must watch Sleeping Dogs again. There's so much in that. No. No, there isn't. Uh, now, you've been watching it with sort of a Star Trek fan. Like, wouldn't identify themselves as a Star Trek fan? No. Yeah. Yeah, your well, yeah, yeah, knows no, enough. no, definitely. Yeah, no, yeah, okay. she's yeah, yeah, she's definitely a fan. Okay, she's not, she's not quite as into the sort of minutia as I am. Gotcha, but she's definitely a fan. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so you wouldn't recommend to her as a a a Star Trek uh, aware person, shall we say Star Trek aware? I don't know. Does that work? Uh, no, no, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm going to stick with my one-word answers. Mm. No, <laughs> uh, and to non-Star Trek fans, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> I'm going to say no with a caveat. Ooh, actually. okay. Only because it's what it does do is it's a very self-contained episode, and so that's always good. I think for a new newbie. As such, mm. you don't need to know anything about Star Trek, really, and and the Klingons are well well known enough 
mm. that even non-Star Trek fans would have probably heard of them. They're in they're in their consciousness, so that sort of helps. Mm. Um, but I'd probably go down on the side of no in the end. But you know, it's not. With a, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's again. I think we said about civilization. It's it's a classic star trek show episode you know there's a problem they go and solve it and then they move on mm. and that's sort of classic star trek you know yeah no oh, I, I can see that I, um when we were talking about this episode before coming to record you were mentioning that Gal- galileo 7 was the yes. the one that you were going to sort of, um uh, align it with and yeah i yeah. completely see your point that there's that it's a small episode it's possibly more character driven so yeah i can see it being that sort of isolated see what star trek does you know they're good they're trying to help even though they yeah. know they shouldn't um and that there's culture aspects in, involved that they do want to help so yeah i, yeah, I can see that reasoning um but I, i'm going with a straightforward no on <laughs> 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 my one um i just i don't know I, the pacing for it i think yeah. to a modern audience i think there is that aspect as well hmm. there is now the modern audience to think yeah. of uh to a general person on the street does this engage enough uh, and whilst it's no, got some right. great moments, there's just not that that solidity to it. Um, there's not bringing back the target practice. There's no further mention to the siren calls. It doesn't just bring together all of these aspects. It's just there. It just happens. Yeah. And then they'll fly away and yeah. we'll have our next adventure. Um, yes. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, speaking of our next adventure, uh, thank yes. you very much, Dan. Uh, before I let you go, uh, again, how can people find you? And uh, where are you on Twitter? On Twitter at Academic Trek Forty Seven, that's probably the best place to find me. Really, um, I'm always there, waiting for a message. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, Academic Trek Forty Seven on on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks for inviting me. Very nice. enjoyable. Thank you. It saved the listeners from another solo show. I really apologise, everybody. Solo shows, uh, I know they're not the best ones. Um, uh so thank you so much i am going to put you in the waiting room uh you're going to be in there for about two days i've given you enough rations uh it's a whole room full of klingon food though so it's very messy excellent is that all right okay that's great yeah (laughs) so uh join us uh next time uh as we go to season three episode 16 of the podcast and season one episode 14 of enterprise as we are looking at the shadows of pajem at zero minutes and zero seconds thank you as always for listening and i'll see you in the next time stream i hope you've enjoyed the show please remember to like subscribe and review wherever you listen to it if you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback you can contact me by either searching for the temporal trick podcast facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search The Temple Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. Scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.